Anyway, I'm Keith Nash, uh, one of the pastors here at Linwood Church. I recall that um, and Pastor Mark, the main pastor here, is, uh, is on his return from the youth conference, and uh, I remember uh, that I, one time I made a long trip to get to a, a church that I wanted to visit when I, on the rare occasion when I wasn't preaching and I got to visit a church, I went quite a distance to hear a, 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 a well-known pastor speak. When I got there, they had a substitute. <laughs> and I half apologize to you this morning. Some of you have come to hear a message from Pastor Mark, a dynamic message, and you've got a substitute this morning. And uh, But... If God shows up to share, to speak life to us, really doesn't matter. He can use a dumb donkey if He wants to, Amen. to get His Word across. So, I want to share with you something from my own past as I began ministry uh, some years ago, a bunch of years ago now. But recently, I was watching a series on the founding of our nation. And one by one, the key players of the founding of our country were spotlighted. And one of them, one of those presentations was on Thomas Paine. Um, and uh, he is the one credited with writing a little pamphlet that mobilized and, 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 mag and so encouraged the colonists that they rose up and they pressed the revolution on to success. And um, then it went on in this presentation to tell me that, to tell us that Thomas Paine is, had rooted his life on human reason. Rationalism is what it was called. That if, that, that that's the foundational concept that he built his life upon. In other words, if you couldn't conceive it in your mind, if you couldn't rationalize it out, then it wasn't so. So what that meant is, anything in the Bible that was miraculous, Thomas Paine threw out the door, just threw it out. Uh, virgin birth, any of the miracles, and he, he wrote how he believed, uh, and all he believed in in, in a book that came out after the revolution entitled The Age of Reason. And so Thomas Paine believed that a lot of the stuff that we hold dear as Christians as fairy tales. And so that's one of the reasons Thomas Paine is not magnified or held up in, um, in our history as a country so much. But that that whole presentation threw me back to the early years of my pastoral ministry when I had to prove or settle my own beliefs, my own untested beliefs. Del Tackett, in, who's famously remembered uh, as a, the leader in that, move, uh, that presentation called the, uh, the Truth Project, he said this, do you really believe that what you believe 
is really real. I grew up in a Christian home, and I was instilled with a lot of really good, wholesome beliefs. And I went to college. I believe that God called me into ministry, and I went off to college and learned much about the Bible, learned how to study it well. But when I came out of college and, uh, and took my first pastoral responsibility in that little church there in Clarksville, Iowa, and then on to Fayette, Iowa, both those in northeast Iowa, uh, my faith had not been really tested. So I want to take you on a little journey, just help you to see. You may not relate to all of this, but I think it's important for us to have a well-grounded faith. And that's what I had to go through. I, I want to share with you how, what I went through to, to get to that for my own life. I was raised, as I said, in a Christian home. I committed my life to Christ early on in life. I believed in Christ. I believed in saving grace. If you asked me, I said I believed the Bible. But there I was as a young pastor in a little, little tiny church, 20 people maybe, and I met with what felt like a barrage of questions, all challenging my faith, what I said I believed. Things like, what makes you so sure you're right? See, I was, in those days, I, I, pastors often made house calls, you know, and so I'd go, I was, I, it was a small town, so I just went to homes all over town. And, and I, so I was meeting all kinds of people in Clarksville and then in Fayette. Now I just met all kinds of people. So I had all these conversations. What makes, and they'd say, sometimes say, what makes you so sure you're right? Another one I remember, a guy said, is it possible that you could be wrong? How would you answer that? I remember meeting a, a Jehovah's Witness. No, 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 I'm sorry, a Mormon. Now, I'm not going to say these groups, I'm not criticizing them, just stating what, what I encountered. I met this, this Mormon, nice people, down the street. And, I, and as a young pastor, I'd studied what they believed, you know, their, 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 their writings, their Book of Mormon. And, I had all this information how there were so many discrepancies, so many contradictions in it, and I laid it out to them. And these folks, I remember he, he just smiled. He says, I, you know what? If you had the experiences with God that we have in our religion, you'd believe like we do. How do you answer that? I thought, I thought my belief was the one that gave me good experiences about, with God. And then other pastors in much larger, far more impressive congregations than I was leading, when we have pastoral gatherings, they'd half ingest, but there was an, an element of seriousness to us that they'd say, we pa I pastor 
the true church of John Wesley. And then others would say, well, you know what, we're all aiming for the same place. You're working at it your way, and we're working at getting there our way. So it's all going to work out in the end. And I remember being raised with the understanding Jesus said, you must be born again. And, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. How do I bring that all together? And then somewhere in those early years, my little brother, ten years younger than me, died in a tragic accident right out of high school. He had such promise in his life. He's a young pastor, young, fairly young believer. How do I reconcile that seemingly pointless death with the God of love and kindness that the Bible puts forward? How do I, how do I put that together? Those are kind of things. You might think, well, you should already have that resolved. Well, I, I thought I did, but when, I, when those things come pouring in on me, I, I questioned it. I asked. I tried to sort it out. Now, I, I should say, I remain convinced of my faith. I knew that relationship with God and Christ was wonderfully satisfying, was sweet. But how was I to resolve these challenges? Do I simply say, well, that's what I was, I was brought up to believe like I do, and so my traditions is what I'm going to bank on, like Tevye in, in the, uh, the uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Do I just say, well, it's tradition? Or do I say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. If it says it here, that's, a, that's all I need. Then I believe it. If you don't believe it, that's your tough luck. I believe that's true. Is that what I do? Jim, Pastor, that didn't seem to satisfy others when I talked with them. Just to say, well, you got to believe it. Just, just sort of step out, blind faith. Just step out into midair and believe it. Or do I say, well, that's what the church teaches. You know, I was brought up, the church teaches these things, so I'm a Wesleyan pastor, because the church says this, I believe it, that settles it. And I ran into churches that, that that's how they had resolved the, the uncertainty. Catholic church, that's the whole point of the Reformation. Church had, over the centuries, resolved these, these questions that people had, and they finally said, well, what church authority finally declares, that trumps everything else. But somehow those, those options didn't seem to settle my, my uneasiness, my need to resolve this. Now, you may not need these, these. Some of these other things may be all you need, and that's fine. But my temperament and my particular calling as a pastor seem to need something more certain under my spiritual feet. I came to the, I had the idea, well, if the God of the Bible is real, then that faith must 
be able to stand up to challenges and cross-examination and come shining through. More than simply tradition, more than simply what I have said, I'll blindly believe it, or church authority saying this is the way to believe, just take it, because I ran across verses like this, and you can write, there's about four verses that I'm going to emphasize this morning. Isaiah 118 is one of them. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together. Not just blind faith. Let's reason together. And then 1 Peter 3.15, that's another one. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. What's the reason? What's the foundation? When the, when the storms of life come crashing in on you, what's going to hold you steady? When I sit across as a young pastor, when I was sitting on a sofa next to somebody who had just lost a, a loved one or someone who had just been diagnosed with an incurable illness, what am I going to say to them? Just believe? Well, that might be all right for some, but it wasn't for me. Come now, let us reason together. The truth is in the Bible. I knew it. I believed it. But how, do I, how did I know? See, the Bible, a Bible-centered faith should stand the test of close examination. And it should hold solid when the winds of doubt and testing come raging in upon a believer like young pastor that I was back then. And these things might seem like, well, you should have had that all figured out by now. Well, I didn't. But I did read in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's another one of those verses you need to hold to. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And as I read that, I realized there are taste buds in, the so in our souls that we are to use to taste. And working in conjunction with the eyes of the soul, we are to encounter a sweetness that defies human explanation. The promise here is, is that genuine tasting of the Lord is wonderfully sweet. But the Bible is filled with many declarations calling us to hold on to the truth. And so I was reading these passages. I, I was committed to reading through the Bible every year. And so that's what I was doing. And I've done that all my life, all my adult life. Isaiah 65, 16 says this, the Lord is identified as the God of truth. Psalm 119, 150, God's Word is truth. John 1, 14, Christ is full of grace 
and truth. John 18, 37, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, He said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I knew that truth is important, and I ought to be able to give an explanation of why I'm convinced that the Christian faith, the Christian message is true. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is devoted to celebrating the Bible as the truth. 1 John is filled with a call to be loyal to the truth. But how was I to know that the truth was really mine? I needed to know the bedrock for my faith. How was I to know for sure what I could count on when all when the chips are down? That's what I wrestled with those early days as a pastor. Options that presented themselves I've already mentioned. Already mentioned. But you know, one of the questions that I, that I recall somebody say, presenting to me is saying, how can you be so arrogant as to think you've got a corner on the truth? What makes you so sure that you've got it and so many others missed it? Well, I considered, is it my tradition? I have a good tradition, a good heritage. As I mentioned, grew up, grew up in church, early made a commitment of my life to Christ. Is that it? Is that it? Well, as, as I went through life, I realized there's people that, if I've been, there are people in the Lutheran church, people in the Methodist church, people in the Catholic church, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and more recent years, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and they were all raised convinced that their parents instilled the right values and the right beliefs into them. What made me so sure that my upbringing was the right one? Now, now that wasn't that wasn't satisfying to my soul. That event might be to you, and I'm not. I don't disparage that. Not everybody has to go through this struggle of the soul that I went through, but might be satisfying to you, and that's fine. If God is, if that's satisfying, great. But for me, it wasn't. Or what about experience? Is it just what I'm experiencing in my own soul? I ran into Pentecostals, you know, that said, well, you know, you got to speak in tongues. I don't know where you are on this, but they said, and they, they talked about all kinds of healings and things like that, and, I, and they said, surely, pastor, you can't be demanding that I deny what I've experienced. No. No, or, or you know, I, I'm convinced in my heart that it's true, so that settles it. And for, for some, some, that may be all that it takes. The Bible says it, 
Christian faith teaches it, so that settles it. There wasn't enough for this heart. Because I knew that my heart could be easily be deceived, and others could be deceived. I could be in error. Hey, you see, as a young pastor, I, I did a lot of children's teaching, and I like to use uh, object lessons and, I, and illusions. And I saw, because, sort of because of that, I saw how easy it is to, to, to deceive somebody watching. For instance, looks like I'm talking to this block of wood. Go. Stop. Go. Stop. Go. Stop. Go. Stop. Go. See how easy it is to deceive? And I, of course, knew that Airplane pilots talked about vertigo, that they thought they were, felt like they were flying level and they could be headed straight to the earth. We can easily be deceived in our hearts. No, the heart of an individual, our experiences, cannot be the final arbiter. Can't be. We're too easily misled. And we're seeing that played out play out in our society today um, with the gender issue. You know, people are saying, if it's true for me, that's all that's important. You know, if I feel like I'm a female today, regardless of what the science says, I should be allowed to compete with women because I am a woman. You know, if I feel it, that settles it. I knew that was folly. I wrestled with that kind of an issue, not exactly that, but things like that, years ago. What about church authority? Then, um, I mean, after all, Catholic Church said when the church declares that that trumps everything else. That would be an easy way to fix it, but then as a young pastor, I thought, you know what, just because my church says it, I can be easily misled. What's to say a whole group might be misled, or the church authorities might be misled? No, no, no. No, there has to be something more certain than that. There has to be something more reliable than any of those three. Now, if those satisfy your, your faith Wonderful. Walk with God. That's between you and the Lord. For this pastor, this young pastor, that I had to have something more certain under me. And all that searching took me full circle, took me back to the Bible. Came to the conclusion, the God of heaven has given a testimony about Himself a revelation about Himself that is true and reliable. And as a young pastor, I examined it, I tested it in as many ways as I possibly could, and I came to the discovery that any time the Bible has been challenged seriously, it has come through with shining colors. Ancient history 
is considered reliable if they have as no more than five or twenty texts, you know, original documents verifying it. The Bible has 50,000 or more ancient documents. Everywhere I, you look, the Bible came through reliable, reliable, dependable. How finally determined. The foundation of my faith is not resting somehow in my fallible heart and mind. It rests on the Bible. I could count on it. Now, my grasp of the Bible might be limited, might be fallible, and my grasp of the truth of the book could be in error, but the book is the objective, reliable truth that I could put, stake my life on, my eternal destiny on. That's where I came to. Came back full circle. This is, this is what I've staked my eternal destiny upon. But you see, it's essential. It's essential to feel joyously passionate for Christ as well. It's not enough just to believe the right things dispassionately without emotion. It's not enough just to say, okay, I believe the right things. The devil himself believes the right things about God. The devil's a better theologian than any of us will ever be. He knows the accurate reality, a truth about God, but he despises God. He, he rejects it. He hates this reality, and he fights it. We're called to believe and let that belief so envelop us, it encompasses all that we are, including our emotions. We need to believe this Bible and believe the gospel, the, the truth. And I remember when the, the, the reality of this, of the, the fact that Jesus died upon the cross and rose again to give me salvation, and that God Himself looks benevolent, looks lovingly, and is delighted in Keith Nash. I remember when that first swept over my, my thoughts, my being. We're demanded, we're commanded to feel deeply, passionately. Some say you can't, can't command feelings. Well, the Bible's full of commands. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That includes emotions. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Matthew 5.12, rejoice and be glad. See, the, this, this faith is all-encompassing. It includes your heart as well as our minds. Not just believing. We have to believe the right things, but then we, it, it impacts our whole being. 
The Christian life is one of delights. Delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right here at the beginning of 2024, right at the end of 23 and the beginning of 24, I want to close this service by simply challenging you. Believe the Word of God. Take it wholeheartedly into your mind. Believe it. Absorb it. Let those truths captivate your heart and enter 2024 joyfully, delightedly, loving, living for, rejoicing in Jesus, walking with Him. The best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. Pray with me, and then let's sing. Lord Jesus, take these feeble words. Oh, God, breathe your life-changing truth into our beings, so much so that it captures our hearts and makes us a joyful people. In your, in your family. Help us to be your people, your messengers, your, your, your spokesmen in this coming year. For the glory and praise of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. The altar's open. If you'd like to commit this morning. 2024, I'm going to be a joyful, delighted believer in Jesus. You, you feel free to step forward to that. Pray. God bless you as we sing.